Hello everyone, my name is Katherine Barron. I'm a longtime education reporter and host of The Score, a podcast about academic integrity and cheating. We explore the landscape of cheating in school and delve into the key issues at play in this multifaceted issue challenging academia today. In each episode, we speak with faculty, scholars, or students and ask them to provide insights into what's happening in college and university classrooms and why. How big a problem is it? Who cheats? as well as what policies, regulations, prevention efforts, and changes in teaching and assessment show promise in curbing cheating. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at podcastthescore, that's one word, or stop by our website to download show notes and see our lineup of guests and release dates. Again, that's podcastthescore.com. This episode of The Score features Dr. Roy Swift, the executive director of WorkCred, an affiliate of the American National Standards Institute. He also served as executive director of the National Board for Certification in Occupational Therapy. And this appointment followed a 28-year career in the U.S. Army Medical Department, where in his last position, he was chief of the Army Medical Specialist Corps in the Army Surgeon General's Office with policy responsibility for Army occupational therapists, physical therapists, dietitians, and physician assistants throughout the world. Roy Swift, welcome to the score. Thank you. Happy to be here today. So let's just start out with WorkCred. What does it do? What's its mission? WorkCred is about looking at the quality, market value, and the effectiveness of workforce credentials. But we do have a mission statement. And the mission statement is to strengthen workforce quality by improving the credentialing system, ensuring its ongoing relevance, and preparing employers, workers, educators, and governments to use it effectively. Now, there are some very crucial words in that mission statement. Credentialing system. Too often, people do not understand that there is credentialing system, and the credentials come from everywhere, the federal government, the state governments, the the professional societies, the academic community, all types of sources. And so understanding the total credentialing system and its relationships and understanding the differences among credentials and how they should be used is an important thing. Most people, when they talk about credentials, may be saying certifications, they may be certificates. So we have a language problem in our country regarding the use of terms and what credentials are evaluated and how they are important and how they should be used. It's understanding how higher education fits with other types of credentials and understanding the importance of assessment, student learning, and programmatic assessment. In many respects, it's understanding education and learning and students from a systems perspective, and you'll hear me talking more about that later on. And we're also going to connect it more directly to academic integrity in a few minutes. First, I want to ask, you know, what are the one or two most frequent concerns that you hear from employers? about how students are being prepared for the job market? Well, I I think there is a disconnect between what is taught and the actual work world. 
they have the content skills many times, but lack the employability skills of critical thinking, problem solving, teamwork, building working relationships, and the lack of standardization of degrees with the same name, each one having a very different flavor. And so unless you really understand the academic community by which that degree is coming from, you may not have the expectations of what that person really can do unless you have those understandings. And those are the problems that I hear from the work world in regard to the integrity uh, of uh, the academic community. You've written about this disconnect in your work cred blogs. Last year, you wrote that the U.S. credentialing system must be viewed holistically, which you just mentioned. And more commonly, that as you say, what students are taught in college is not necessarily aligned with what they need to know for licensing and what employers are looking for. So what, what's an example of this that you've seen through your work? And I understand you can't name names, although that would be great, but just kind of give us a flavor of what is specifically going on. I will take the engineering field as an example today because I've heard from various uh, entities receiving engineers uh, that there seems to be, even though there might be a bachelor's degree in civil engineering, electrical engineering, each one has a different emphasis, I will say. Many times they do have the core, but that emphasis makes a difference in whether that person's going to fit into a specific job responsibility. And that's why we do get the employers saying, they're coming to us, but it, they don't have the particular skills th that we're looking for uh, in this regard. It's this lack of understanding that is important. One employer thought a certification exam should be developed to ensure that the knowledge and skills become more standardized. In other words, even though people say, okay, I have a bachelor's degree in engineering, they're saying maybe there should be an exam that they perform this particular agency to try to bring more standardization that they're assured that there is a common body of knowledge that will enable them to utilize these people appropriately and shorten their onboard training. Standardization in some ways could be, you know, a sticky wicket for academics. I, I just, I wonder about the, how, how you believe they would feel about doing that. But there isn't, as I said, there isn't really alignment right now. And, and it, seems, it seems like at the very least, there should be that, that what students learn in high school should actually, you know, lead them into the path where they can do well in college or, or wherever they go next. But there's actually not much conversation going on there. I'm wondering then if that disconnect is perhaps part of what leads to academic integrity problems in college and the frustration that you mentioned students often have? I do think K-12 through is the foundational component to success in post-secondary education, in academia and higher ed. I believe it is crucial to individuals being able to make the right choices. There are several issues in regard to the system and preparing success in the post-secondary system. One is helping people understand how to learn, to 
be able to identify uh, resources, to build self-confidence in, in, in people. There is our need to move to more of a competency-based approach in, in higher ed that's transparent and can signal to the work world or the government or whoever that what the person not only knows, but what the person can do. The current transcript is not helpful in this regard. And the reluctancy of faculty to move to competency outcomes versus general course descriptions is problematic. I feel the issue is that the competency approach does put more pressure on the faculty to produce what they say they are producing because it is more transparent and the assessment tools have to be more precise. The other disconnect is the lack of employability skills. The college is not teaching the behaviors that are expected in the workplace. Something as simple as coming to class on time, participating in class and being an active learner and working in teams often are forgotten. That sounds like sort of a, a campaign for internships and things like that, right? You can study it all you want in school, but until you're in that setting, you don't get what you need to know. My brother, and I, I mention this story frequently, but he's in the healthcare field, and he says when they're hiring someone, they know from the school that they attended whether they're going to bring the skills that you know, his, his group is looking for. And it doesn't mean that the others are bad or not well-educated. It's just that there isn't that consistency, and they know which schools have that. That's one of the issues. And there have been some employers who said they will only accept students from certain universities because of that very issue. They can count on and have confidence on the product being seen. I've often thought, you know, in the manufacturing world, when you're producing a product, they measure through quality management systems the defects of the product. You know, you uh, mentioned a paper in an earlier conversation we had uh, that you co-led on the integration of credentials. And I'm wondering if you can just tell us what were the primary takeaways from that? And, and were you at all surprised by anything that you found when you were doing that work? Yes. Recently, I participated with the Higher Learning Commission, which is one of the national accreditors of universities and, and colleges, because they are very interested in looking at the whole issue of credentials and how uh, credentials may be integrated into a higher education system, industry credentials in, in this regard. The title of the paper was Institutional Accreditation at the Crossroads, Drivers for Change. And it had four main themes. One, at the landscape and pressures on higher ed, employers and accrediting bodies are going to be increasingly to produce a product that is able to function at higher levels, probably because of all the technology that is going on today. We'll have to produce a very different kind of individual. Most people think technology, you know, will run people out of jobs, but it, it really looks like that what is going to happen is that it's going to force and put pressure on producing people with higher level of knowledge 
in the ideas of robotics and uh, artificial intelligence, because even though those systems are automated, many times it's individuals who have to be behind those systems in order to work. The growth, the specific and unique context in which higher education institutions are operating, there are more and more people looking from above with government and accrediting as to what the university should be. The whole adage is, is the university just to produce people working or is it the, uh, to help people think and not specific to occupations? And certainly that dilemma and dichotomy will continue. But there is, the pendulum is swinging a little bit in that the emphasis in the future seems to be, can people get jobs? And that universities will be evaluated on those outcomes, not just process, but outcomes. And that's one of the outcomes that will be looked at. The growth of non-degree credentials, the, the degree of assessment-based certificates from the professional societies, the industry certifications. There are over 8,000 industry certifications right now. And every week, they develop more and more industry certifications. And it is one in which they can be complementary. But unless we understand, like I said at the beginning, the credentialing system and how they may interface and complement one another, we are going to develop competing systems, which may not be the best uh, uh, way of thinking about these various, because each credential tends to have a lot of strengths. And so we should use the strengths of each credential to be able to see how they can be integrated. Our particular uh, group, WorkRed, is looking about the embedding of certifications into degree pathways. We, we think the two uh, can complement one another because certification is about competency assessment. Uh, academic is, is more of assessing and learning about uh, knowledge and skills, and the two can be very complementary and may bring that transparency I talked about more and more and signal to the employer, to the government, because the government's interested in these outcomes. And then the importance of a systematic approach uh, to pathways, data, integrated assessment points. The higher education is a system, and it has super system of trustees and government, various pressures, employers, and then the subsystems of the, the deans, the faculty, the infrastructure, and all of those systems needs to have more system thinking about how they are working together more for more efficiency. The creating metrics that are transparent for stakeholders, continuously evaluating the needs of students and contributing to lifelong learning beyond work and career success are going to be extremely important. Complex ecosystems of credentialing entities must understand the total credentialing system and how the other entities determine quality. We talk a lot about producing credentials, but too often we don't talk about quality. What's a quality credential? And that's going to be crucial. We must be looking how we facilitate quality, relevance, 
and interoperability among all credentials to create successful pathways, understanding there may be many pathways to a common end result. This will require more systems thinking to accomplish this result. This is, as you you have described it, I think you, you wrote that higher education needs to be that that it actually is the right kind of system to be a holistic system that, that if anyone should be it should be there so what would that look like then if you put these things together that you're talking about mm-hmm. well i generally when i talk about system i generally i'm a big fan of general systems theory and what that means is that we should view our life from the tiny elements of atoms and electrons to the universe. That sounds like a big deal, but understanding the layers and the interaction and the forces in a systems think, I think is the more holistic thing. So people who are trying to design higher education needs to take a more systems thinking about what is the work world telling them? What is the government telling them? What do students desire? What's the environment that we should be doing? And so we take it from the, let's just say, the national system to the state systems to the academic systems to the subsystems of of provosts, deans, faculty, students, and understanding how those layers exist. We are Unfortunately, too often, the K-12 through system, which we talked about as being the foundation, is not producing individuals that have the psychological ego strength to face many of the issues uh, that students are facing. And that threat, I think, does cause students to do things that may be unethical, such as cheating well, there's certainly a lot of research that's been completed or in process about those issues. And um, particularly in, in the group work, it, there's some very, very positive outcomes when yes. that's properly. So yeah. That's, you know, we're, we're talking kind of about college more than other stuff, but I, you know, I think it's a hot issue in the United States of whether every student should go to college or university, if that's the goal, or or if they, you know, there are alternatives to that. And I, um, from from talking to you and reading some of your work, I get the sense that you're not a believer in college for everyone. And I'm wondering if you could sort of talk about why and and what the benefits are of not trying to track every single student into a college. I am, and I I believe it takes all types of occupations to build the ecosystem in the United States. And right now. Uh, we've kind of forgotten that, and, and the uh, uh, infrastructure and the trades upon which we built this nation have been forgotten, and we are suffering from that. Finding the technicians that have the skills needed to build our homes, to build cities, to b- build the uh, various uh, types of societies that that we need today. You know, unfortunately, 
restaurant workers, childcare workers all get a bad say, oh, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't direct people in those jobs because they don't have a, a living wage. Well, that should not be the reason. We need to make sure and put more pressure in those systems so that they do have a learning wage. Because what could be more critical to our society than bringing up children who are happy, learn, and are good citizens. I think we only need to look at the things happening on a daily basis in our society right now that says that this is extremely important. Without many of the technical and skilled jobs, the professional jobs would not be successful. There has to be an integration of those two in order to have a successful workforce in this country. They complement each other and they build the processes and the systems and the individuals we need to run this country. We see it in factories. We see it teaching in the universities. All of this is an integrated approach to building a society that is able to be productive and uh, produce individuals that have satisfaction in life in this regard. Well, a living wage would definitely be high on that list, I think. Um, <laughs> yes. So if we produce graduates, either from colleges and universities or, or from some of the other training programs or journeyman and union groups who are job ready, do you think that would reduce the instance of you know, academic misconduct by students because maybe you know, they feel like they are ready, that they're getting what they need to to succeed? Well, I think it certainly would help, but it's not probably the total answer for sure. We have to build individuals who know how to work with each other, respect one another, and be willing to teach each other. I think misconduct comes from not feeling competent, and in many times, misconduct comes from feeling inadequate to address the situation, and the person feels threatened. It's sort of like fight and flight, you know, that you're, you're backed in and, oh, my God, I don't know this. I feel awful. I'm just going to come out fighting, uh, so to speak. And, and I think that that is causing, we're seeing a lot of misconduct of students uh, because of that threatening behavior. We need to give students confidence that they can learn. How many times have you heard people say in their freshman biology class or chemistry class, they look to your left, look to your right, only 50% of you? What kind of a beginning is that for a student? And not start out by just threatening students. I mean, we have to give them the confidence, and competence breeds competence. You know, there's a Robert White, a Harvard psychologist, talks about once you become competent, that gives you the confidence to have a higher level of confidence. Once you learn to put the two-piece puzzle together, oh, I can put a five-piece puzzle together. Oh, I can put a 25-piece puzzle. We are not giving these kids the foundation upon which to have stability uh, and that they can learn. It may have to learn in a different way. Students are not cookie cutters. They, uh, they are not the same cookie. Each one is a different type of cookie. 
and has to be treated as such. One of the biggest crimes today, I think it's at least 75%, I don't know the exact figure, lecture is the most predominant delivery in the universities. That is a passive way of learning that we know that only 10% of that type of knowledge is ever retained. It's the more active learning approach where people retain what they do. We need to give the reason for this confidence is that we can't produce self-directed lifelong learners if we don't give them the confidence and the joy to learn. I learned that in my doctoral dissertation. I was looking at how learning occurs in the work environment. It's interesting. The professionals who did not have confidence about their knowledge would not ask the physician or the other professional that's involved in the case a question. Those who had confidence would say, oh, well, I didn't understand that. Please tell me about that. So having ego strength about learning is critical if we're going to develop self-directed lifelong learners in this country. We've, we've got to understand that instead of saying, oh, you can't learn. Maybe this is not for you. Yeah. Well, it is that idea that you can admit that you don't know what you don't know. Yes. And that that should be okay, you know, as long as you're willing to then pursue that answer. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Given, I don't know, that, that there are so many lectures in college, particularly in your freshman year, you want to establish this joy of, in learning and intellectual conversation, and that there's no place for that. How do you make skills relevant and connect that to competency-based assessments in in the system that we have? I mean, is that even possible? What like what would be the first step to take? Well, I think the first step is building more precise learning outcomes, competencies, whatever word that people feel comfortable in using. Because I, I think that Many times I hear students talk about the unknown. Oh, I don't know what he's going to ask. I don't know what the expectations are. Competency gives more structure to the student as to what the expectations are in this regard. Competency-based assessment is really a more straightforward method of evaluating whether a skill has been achieved. And the student's feel more secure when they know what it is that is expected of them, it's expected in the course, expected on the assessment. I know myself through all my years, I, I right down to the final exam, I'd say, oh God, I don't know what he's going to ask. He could ask all sorts of things or she uh, kind of thing. Competency-based takes the guessing out of what it is. You go in more confidence you may not know it, you may miss it, but at least you knew it ahead of time uh, what it is. Many times the unknown about how a student is assessed facilitates anxiety and undue stress that leads to students feeling the need to cheat. Well, what, what should change about the assessments in and of themselves? When you use competence-based education, if I say, I expect you to describe something, 
That's what I'm going to ask you to do. If I ask you that you're going to have to perform something, you're going to have to perform. If I say you're going to have to bring many sources of data together and synthesize that information into a conclusion, I know I'm going to have to do that kind of thing. It helps build a stronger signal to the student to feel more comfortable instead of the unknown. And all of us, when we don't know what's going to happen to us, become fearful in this type of thing. And I think we are raising the anxiety of students needlessly in that regard. One of the researchers that we've spoken with on the score said that for many students, there's a moment right then and there when they're taking the exam that that's when they decide to cheat. I mean, there are clearly some who go in and they've already made their mind right. up. But, but it seems that what you're saying is, is the trigger, that I come in, I think I know everything, I don't. I can't afford to fail this test. I'm going to cheat right now. I think it's an integrity issue too. It's trust. It's trust that you're not going to lead me astray. It's trust that you're going to treat me fairly and objectively and impartial because it's going to be straightforward whether I know that or not in, in this regard. And then also... If we move more to competency-based education, it's a stronger signal to the employer that the student has demonstrated the knowledge and skill. It's much more concrete in this regard. So is, is integrity also being monitored at an accreditation level or, or any other oversight organization in training programs? I think it is. They're increasingly looking at it. I think it's a hard thing to evaluate in this regard. But I think that the fact that the oversight organization is looking at quality and relevance will lead to more trust by the stakeholders. The emphasis on outcomes will become much more important because this will give the stakeholders much more confidence that the product will be able to demonstrate the knowledge and skills as advertised. This is important and will require much more emphasis on quality assessment. And I do know that the accrediting bodies are going to be looking more at how students are assessed in this regard to build that trust and to build that confidence and how they build confidence in students. And is that resulting in better outcomes for the students? That kind of leads into my final question, which is, you know, what are your thoughts on what can be done in the training and workforce development industry? to minimize cheating or, or even to, I don't know, curb the impetus to cheat itself? Well, I, I do think it's important to go back transparency, relevance, and competency. I would say those are three main elements that has to be looked at. I would go back to my thoughts about competency-based education when it's about competency and you can repeat the assessment until you've achieved the level of competency, there's less reason to cheat. They'll say, okay, I failed. I'll go back and relearn. You know, that's a skill that's taught in the military. I used to teach at the Academy of Health Sciences. It's called something different now in the Army. But one of the things that always happens in the military is that teach, test, reteach, Retest and generally students are given 
several times to be able to achieve it because the military believes it's about competency. If the person, it might take them two or three times that a person, one person can do it on the first time, but it doesn't mean that the person who took three times isn't just as good uh, with that competency. So I think we have to take that sort of an attitude in higher ed instead of this, uh, well, we're going to fail you. Uh, and that's it. There's no other chance uh, in this ring. And it, and it sets up a more feeling of freedom to fail. And don't we tell people we learn by our failures? And yet, you know, the anthropologists have a, a very good saying, your actions betray you. We verbally say, oh, it's okay to fail. But what happens? If you fail, you're out. <laughs> well, it's interesting because um, Carol Dweck, this psychologist who's written about mindset, she's at Stanford. I've heard her speak, and, and one of the things she stresses is the word yet. I don't know this yet. I can't do this yet. And that is really powerful in that situation. As oh, you that's were terrific. I love that. We want to send the message that failure is a part of life and one has to learn from failure to eventually to succeed. How many people, successful people, have told us that? But yet we do not practice that uh, in our educational system. Uh, and I think that's a lack of integrity, too. We say one thing and do another. Oh, you mean like there are no stupid questions, that one? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Roy, thank you so much for sharing your ideas with us today. Roy Swift is the executive director of WorkCred, an affiliate of the American National Standards Institute. I'm Catherine Barron. You've been listening to The Score. The Score is produced by the Academic Integrity and Research Group at Pando Public Relations. It is underwritten by Measure Learning and technical support is provided by This Is Distorted. To ask questions, to download show notes, or to learn more about The Score, visit our website at podcastthescore.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at podcastthescore, or find us on all the podcast platforms as The Score.